Hey everyone, lovely to be with you guys. So nightclubs is the name for our small groups in um, Signal, and uh, that's the 15th of February. Um, as more and more people come to the church, uh, you know, coming on a Sunday is wonderful, especially if you hang out a long time, you can actually make a lot of friends. But there's something about smaller groups of people getting into each other's homes, getting to know each other, you know, closing the gap between the kind of sermons we hear on a Sunday and the lives we actually live. And uh, one of our values is authentic community. So those little forms, if you're interested in visiting a nightclub, we're at the moment um, are planning on starting a few more nightclubs for this year. And then we basically just run for 10 weeks. Some nightclubs say, no, we're not stopping after 10 weeks, we carry on. But we're going to do a 10-week run from the 15th of February. Um, so hopefully. And then another thing, 26th of February, what's that? Four Sundays from now. Uh, when they gave us this venue, they said, unfortunately, they've got an event on that day. Not a problem for us. We're going to be meeting in a park for brunch. So we're going to make a big party of it. Next week, we'll tell you where that is. But 26th of February, we won't be meeting here. So I get to do the last talk in the series, Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. And um, I got it from this verse, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Remember Jesus. It's amazing how easily just forget him. A lot of people don't even know him to start. But it's possible to know him and forget him or just not think about him. Go through days not thinking about Jesus. It's possible to be really caught up even in the Christian world, even in a faith community. And somehow your life and your mind and your heart doesn't orbit around the most important person, Jesus. So um, we've been, uh, you know, start of the year saying, let's remember Jesus. Signal Church. If, if, if we were to break it down right to its essence, we're all about Jesus. We're all about Jesus. And uh, last week I started a, a talk which I'm carrying on today. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Can somebody just raise this thing for me? Okay, I did it. I, did it. I raised it from there. Raised from the dead. And I listen to this verse. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay, so the, this is first importance, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. The resurrection of Jesus. And it means many things. Last week I said, well, it means that it's true. It's one thing, you know, him dying on the cross and everybody's saying, you know, as he died that brutal death on the cross, he was saving the world. It's easy to claim that. How do you know it really works? How do you know that he's really carrying the sins of the world? Well, the resurrection proves it. It's true. And I often think to myself, you know, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, probably every church should empty. Because we're living a lie. However, if Jesus was raised from the dead as a fact of history, probably every church would fill up. <laughs> and then, if Jesus raised from the dead, secondly, we learned that Jesus is here. The Bible speaks, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speaks about Jesus of, of the Gospels, Jesus on the earth. And, and yet, the rest of the New Testament speaks about the Christ of glory, the Jesus that we're praying to now, who fills the heavens with his power and his presence, who's seated on a throne. Large and in charge. Uh, how do you bring those two together? Well, the only reason that they're the same person is because Jesus raised from the dead. You know, in Islam, nobody is um, praying to Muhammad. 
You remember the man, you honor the man, but he didn't rise again from the dead. Jesus, either, rose again from the dead, and that's why he's here. Mark chapter 2, beautiful story in Capernaum. Jesus is in a house, and people start flooding in just to hear his words, just to receive his healing touch. And there is this life pulsating in this house. And often when I read, I think to myself, Jesus in the house. And whenever we gather as God's people, in a sense, we reenact what happens in Mark 2. Jesus in the house, just to hear his words, just to feel his touch. But the third thing I want to speak about, uh, Jesus' resurrection, I want to spend just this, this whole message on it, is Jesus' resurrection means new creation. Jesus' resurrection means new creation. So let me explain this. Jesus promised new, new creation. In fact, the Old Testament, before Jesus came, promised new creation. One of the misconceptions of heaven in the minds of, I think, most Christians in most of history is the thought that heaven is wispy, cloudy, people playing harps. Uh, heaven is basically the eternal worship service in the sky. But eternal life is not us escaping to heaven. It's heaven enveloping a renewed earth. That's heaven. It's heaven enveloping a renewed earth. Jesus in Matthew 19 says, Truly I tell you, listen to this phrase, at the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who has housed, left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. At the renewal of all things, whatever sacrifices, whatever following Jesus costs you, in terms of losing people in this world, losing opportunities, suffering. Jesus makes up for it in a renewed heaven. Now that word renewal is the Greek word palingenesia. Palingenesia. And it actually was a term in Greek philosophy where they imagined a time where there would be a great renewal. A cleansing of reality. And Jesus says that's what's coming. The word re renewal, palingenesia, is made up of two words, palin and genesia. And palin means again, genesia means beginning, new beginning. And of course the word genesia reminds us of Genesis, which harkens back to Genesis. Genesis again, Eden restored. Isaiah 66 says, behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. You see, when Jesus returns, God will purge our fallen creation of injustice, poverty, suffering, evil, agony, despair, sickness, and sin. He will usher in a new eternal age marked by justice, harmony, creativity, love, peace, and joy. We will receive our immortal resurrection bodies, radiating God's glory, never again to be sick, wounded, old, tired, or tempted. The renewal of all things. Not the eternal uh, worship service in the sky <laughs> with this disembodied soul that somehow is holding on to a harp. <laughs> but hang on, Taryn, I thought we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Why are you? This is another subject. What's the resurrection of Jesus got to do with this? Well, everything. Listen to this, John 20 verse 1. Early, notice this, on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. John is writing this, is reminding us that this is a new beginning. The first day of the week in Genesis 1 is the day of creation. 
carries on. It says, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? It's the first word that comes out of the risen Lord's mouth. Woman. Woman. Jesus elevates the place of woman in the world. But it also reminds us back to Genesis 2, because what's the first word that comes out of Adam's mouth? As he uh, comes, he lays down, some of his side is taken out, and, and Eve is made of that side. He looks at her and he says, you are woman. It's hearkening back to Genesis 2. And then it says, thinking he was the gardener. They're in a garden. The echoes are tantalizing. The empty tomb is the scene of new creation. It's taking us back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. See, what's happening in the resurrection is the beginning of a new world. It's the unveiling of the prototype of what God is now going to accomplish in the rest of the world. God is going to do for the whole cosmos what he has done for Jesus at Easter. As the tomb opened and Jesus exited, an energy, a power was released that sent shockwaves of life and of new creation across the universe. For this is a power that would eventually lead to the renewal of all things and the salvation of every person in Christ. The resurrection means new creation. New creation has begun. And I'm, I want to... Help us think what that means for us today. Four things. Number one, new creation means that we should relish creation. We should relish creation. I know Eastern spirituality, especially since the 70s, has become very hip and popular in the West. But let's just think a little bit about one aspect of Eastern tradition, such as Hinduism, Buddhism. How does Hinduism and Buddhism respond to the frailties and the disappointments of the natural order? Well, it holds out the hope in Hinduism of something called moksha, release, for the Hindu. And then in Buddhism, nirvana. My mom named me nirvana. That's my middle name. Terran Nirvana Williams. <laughs> and, and that literally means to be blown out for the Buddhist. But both moksha and nirvana speak of a state of absolute non-physicality. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, the most popular of all the Hindu texts, speaks about how we will be liberated and freed from all material contamination. So the heart of Eastern spirituality is the belief that materiality is either an illusion or it's a form of contamination. And the goal of the whole of history, the goal of, of your life is to eventually get free from the trappings of your physicality. You think about Eastern spirituality, it's about escaping into the eternal now. It's about actually, it's actually about transcending your material existence. And yet, uh, the gospel is the exact opposite. The resurrection of Jesus puts us right back with our feet in the dust. Right in the earth, God makes Adam from the dust and plumps his feet back in the dust. There's not a bird flying in the sky. He's earth in a physical reality. And the resurrection of Jesus and the new creation that comes is God's highest affirmation of the importance of our physical reality. Your body is you. In our culture, we've begun to believe that, no, 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 our body's not me. Uh, you know, I can make my body whatever I want it to be. The real me is some kind of eternal cosmic spark of identity. No, you are your body. 
and this mountain, it's real. And the beach and, and the sun, it's, it's right in the middle of things. It's not an illusion. And yes, creation is hurting. Creation has been compromised through human sin. But, but God's plan is to, is to take creation and to heal it, to renew it. And just remembering that changes our whole approach to our physical existence, to the material world that we live in. Whatever kind of spiritual, spirituality you have, let it not be a spirituality that is an escape from physical reality. Let it be a spirituality that envelops your physical reality. See, creation, says N.T. Wright, what creation needs is neither abandonment. Our goal is not to escape the material world and our bodies. But neither does it need evolution. Rather, it needs redemption and renewal. And this is both sampled and guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. It's mind-blowing stuff. Somehow, uh, Christians have got it in our head that the goal of, you know, of salvation is one day when you die, you escape this planet left behind. You know, the famous series, The Rapture. We, we preoccupied with getting that heaven out of here. <laughs> We're actually, that's not what you find in the scriptures. God is preoccupied with getting down here. Heaven marrying earth. It doesn't make sense. Relish creation. Relish your body. Relish the, the created world all around you. Don't take it for granted. Pray with your eyes open. If you're worshipping God, look around at the people. Secondly, what does new creation mean? Well, it means come alive to God. Come alive to God. Listen to this verse. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means that what happened to Jesus happened to you. When you place your faith in Jesus, what happened to him happened to you. He came out of that tomb, and you come out with him. Now, one of the things this verse claims is that we were dead in our transgressions. And I've got to be honest, sometimes I struggle to look at all the people in the world and say that they are dead in their sins. For a simple reason, they look so alive. I mean, the athlete's body is a wound-up spring of great energy and ability. Uh, watch a person who loves another. That affection will cause them to cross the oceans in pursuit of the beloved. Or an artist, their creation blows my hair back in wonder. Or look at that socialite who brings energy and life to the deadest social gathering. They look so alive. And of course, even this life, that physical, emotional, creative, social life, is a gift from God. But when a great branch falls from a tree, it still has life in it, even though it has been cut off from its source. It now has a bleak future, as the death inside eventually will become the death outside. See, within ourselves, within our own personal, spiritual capacities, we are cut off from God. We are as unresponsive to His presence and voice as a corpse to a doctor. We are blind to Jesus' glory, deaf to the Spirit's voice. Our heart does not and cannot leap toward the Father with expecting, trusting delight. For the first 16 years of my life, I was alive in all kinds of ways. But in these crucial ways, I was dead as a corpse. 
I didn't leap at God's presence. I was blind to his glory, deaf to his voice. But guess what? When I was 16, God raised me up with Jesus. And until the prince awakens us with his kiss of grace, we are amongst the living dead. When Jesus' dear friend Lazarus had died and already been four days in the tomb, Jesus proclaimed to the dead man's sister Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he proved the truth of his claim shortly afterwards. He called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And what happened next is Lazarus came forth! Because the one who called is not merely the giver of life, but life himself. And I love the next verse. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. Yesterday as we were praying for signal and what God wants to do in and through our community this year, God highlighted his ability to bring resurrection to people. We thought of all the people that are going to, through our friendships, through our invitations, through coming to Signal, are going to encounter Jesus calling them forth like he once called Lazarus forth. And only Jesus can make a person alive. This is not, you know, moral reformation where you learn new rules for life. This is coming alive to God. And I love that little thought, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When I first came alive to God when I was 16, God soon after gathered people around me who then helped me to strip off the grave clothes. Even though I was alive to God, I still had deathly habits, deathly thoughts. I, you know, I was involved in some deathly activities. I had some deathly attitudes. And I was free on the inside, but some of these were taking time to come off. And I praise God for the people who would encourage me. Sometimes, you know, address things in my life. And just through their relationship and their prayer for me, these things came off. And then the third thing, what does new creation mean? It means look forward to your future body. I mean, your bodies look pretty awesome. From, from my, you know, I, mean, I don't have the best eyesight, but from here, you look great. You're a good looking bunch. But the Bible speaks about our future body. Listen to Philippians 3. We eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Jesus, uh, they knew him. And he got crucified and he died like anybody would die if you stab it enough times. And you let it, the blood come out and you asphyxiate it. His body died. When he was risen from the dead, his friends didn't at first recognize him until they kind of got the iron and they were like, you're the same, but you're different. And although he could still eat food, he was still physical, he seemed to have, if I can put it like this, superhuman powers. He could move through a wall. He could travel quickly from one place to another. His body had been immortalized, <laughs> never again susceptible to weakness or to decay or to being able to be damaged. And what God did to Jesus' body, He's going to do to your body. Before I knew this, I was only semi-excited about heaven. It troubled me, this thought of escaping the physical world and entering a spiritual one called heaven. Because I love the taste, the sense of taste and the sense of smell and the 
sense of sight and the sense of sound and the sense of touch. Now imagine that when you go to heaven, you're like trading these five senses and you just get back like a sixth spiritual sense. <laughs> it just doesn't excite me. Well, how wonderful to know that you keep your senses and maybe you get some new ones. And these senses get enveloped with the sixth sense. We will burst forth into the new creation like children let out for summer break, running, somersaulting, cartwheeling into the meadows of the new earth, running like the children. And I quote, um, says Lucia, without getting tired, foster and foster, till it was more like flying than running. And even the eagle overhead was going no faster than they. This means so much to me because when I was 16, my father was only 36. He was such a strong, good-looking, muscular man. We used to, you know, weekends we spent on the beach, Clifton, Sandy Bay. We used to go there all the time. I was one of the kids at Sandy Bay. And um, my dad just had, you know, I could tell, like a really gorgeous, amazing body. And uh, mom, am I right? Am I lying here? Okay. okay. And, um, and, uh, and then he got AIDS. And his body began to wilt. And he got Kaposi's sarcoma, cancer of the blood vessels. And rid of these, these purple bruises that grew into wounds that would then blister and would rot. And eventually enough of them got inside his lungs so he couldn't breathe and he died of lack of air. And watched him wilt, just wilt. <laughs> My brother was 24 years old. Just again, just so full of life. And 28th of May, 1999. Climbs in a car and uh, goes through the table views, organizing a party at a club called Rhythm Divine, which is, used to be around the corner. And um, hands out flies to the party next Friday night and drives home. He's tired, maybe had a few drinks. And he falls asleep at the wheel. And he skips over into the oncoming traffic and he dies instantly in a head on collision. And the front of the Nissan Exa gets pushed into the second half of the, the back half of the Nissan Exa. And somewhere, somewhere in all of that is my brother's pulverized body. Both my dad and my brother had wonderful uh, salvation experiences. My dad, two nights before he died, two nights before he died, came to faith. The day before he died, he was speaking in another language, a spiritual language, the Bible calls tongues, and nobody even told him about it. He asked someone, what's going on? What's this coming out of my mouth? And somebody could at least say to him, that's that the Bible speaks that's the gift of tongues. It happens sometimes when the Spirit comes on you. I spoke to people who weren't Christians, and they said, you know, when I visited your dad on that last day, he was saying, can you feel him? He's here. Who? Jesus is here. My dad got wonderfully saved before he died. So did my brother. He was alive with Christ. And after I lost my brother, obviously, you go through all of the sadness and the heartbreak. I remember one time... Worshipping Jesus. And one of the things that happens when you worship Jesus is as it's like you get transported to the new creation in the future. You can almost close your eyes and you think you're going to open your eyes and you're going to be in like Avatar 3. You know? Like it's just going to be in this new creation. And so you're just going to be there. You're surprised when you're still, you're, you're still here. The Bible speaks about tasting the powers of the coming age. That's what happens when... You're enveloped by the Spirit's presence. You're tasting the future. It's coming upon you. It's breaking into your pre the present moment. And as this was happening, I had a vision 
In my vision, I saw my brother and my father. They were standing behind me. We were, we were all singing. We were actually in a school hall. And it was so real, this vision, that I felt like if I turned around, I could see them. And I got a good look at my brother and my father in their new bodies. And I remember what struck me is they looked about the same age. And they looked so healthy. And they looked around in my vision and they nodded their head like, this is the real deal. These people know what they're doing. Because, of course, in heaven there is a lot of worship. It's not only worship. It's not only singing. But everything is worship. Life is worship. Creativity is worship. We're going to be given these enormous assignments that, in my mind, will fill the cosmos. Not just the neighborhood that you're in. so real to see these these bodies and 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 what that did is actually helped me to remember my dad in a new way <laughs> helped me to think of my brother in a new way and um, I don't know what's happening in your body I don't know what weaknesses you carry if you've got a psychological weakness a proneness to depression is your body aging is it starting to lose some of its youthful powers well the closer you get to that day the more you've got look got to look forward to and by the way when we pray for physical healings we see them as a future sample of this resurrection body if jesus is able to give you a whole new body one day surely he can heal that back surely he can heal that sight surely he can drive back that cancer surely these healings are little samples little foretastes of a future resurrection body. And then my last point for you today. What does new creation mean? Let God bring about new beginnings. Let God bring about new beginnings. Palin Genesia. New beginnings. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? That's Isaiah 43. This church is in a new beginning. This New venue, you feel it when you come here, there's an excitement, like there's a new chapter. You've turned the page, signal is in a new beginning. Like, I don't know what we were before, signal 2.0, now we signal 3.0. And it wasn't because we took it there, it's because there's been a new beginning. There's a, a God doing something. But it's the same with your life and with my life. These waves of power come our way. Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know His great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Jesus from the dead and sat Him at the right hand of God. This resurrection power that makes you new. Paul plunders his vocabulary. He stacks word upon word in a short sentence in rapid sequence to try to give you a sense of it. Power, might, strength, exerted, raised. We gather outside the empty tomb every Sunday. But this doesn't mean that our life will be spared of pain and suffering. What it does mean is that pain and suffering tends to give way to resurrection life. Gain follows pain. 2 Corinthians 13, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are who are weak in him, yet by God's power will live with him. Paul, the apostle, he spoke about weaknesses, hardship, insults, persecutions, difficulties. Any of you had any of those? How about this last week? But Paul noticed a pattern in his life. When he handed over his pain to God, 
God handed over gain to him. Resurrection power follows our crucifying experiences. I haven't read a lot of stuff that Brené Brown has written, but I did hear something very cool she spoke about, the intersection of faith and suffering. Brené Brown says, you know, she used to think that faith would be like an epidural. Now, I've had the privilege of witnessing my wife bringing four births, five children. I mean, the last one was like double portion. It was like, I'm still amazed. Two humans popped out of her body, not just one. But I did notice that there is a lot of suffering. Now, I couldn't comprehend that it. it just looked, it looked excruciating. I've had a friend who said that if there was a button next to her that says like eject to non-existence, she would have hit it every birth. <laughs> just like, okay, I'm out. I'm dialing out. I give up. And sometimes we think that faith and the life of God will be an epidural. It'll take away the pain and the suffering. But then you go through it and you go like, no, I do believe in God, but look, that hurt. I can't imagine it hurting worse than that. That disappointment in that relationship, that shattering of a dream, it still hurts. So Brenner Brown says, you know what? Faith in suffering is not so much an epidural. What it is, is it's, it's the midwife. It's the midwife who comes to you and strokes your back. Says, I'm right here. And then whispers in your ear, new life is coming. New life is coming. New life is coming. New life is coming. And um, I have gone through some dark times. Okay, most of my life I've been a Christian now. So like, I've got more suffering this side of my, my salvation than that side. I've just done more years. And... I've gone through times of suffering that every time seemed unavoidable. It's like, in fact, I'd actually say I obeyed God best I could. And by obeying God, I find myself in this fix. It wasn't disobedience to God that brought on my suffering. It was obedience to God that brought on my suffering. And I have felt like I was dying. Dying. Suicidal thoughts. Uh, Lucky for me, never suicidal plans, but suicidal thoughts. Um, A lot of people are suffering in our world. Mental health is at an all-time low. One in six teenagers in the world made suicide plans in the last year. Higher than ever before. People are suffering. And um, people are going through darkness. And... I have experienced darkness in my life where you feel you get stripped down to nothing and you get broken down till you feel like there's nothing left of you and um, the future just gets so dim. And then the midwife comes to you, strokes your back. God says, I'm right here. And then every now and then you just hear a little whisper, maybe through an encouragement from a friend, something you read in the Bible. New life is coming. After the crucifying experience comes the resurrection power. And um, I don't know where you are in the stage of crucify, crucifixion. Are you at the beginning of it? Are you halfway through? Or is it you've now, you've, you've suffered enough. You, you, you're all done with your suffering. God comes to you and he strokes your back and he says, new life is coming. God will do things in your life that he could do no other way except through suffering. And he will do things through your life that he could have done no other way than through your suffering. Learn how to give your pain to God 
and he will turn it to gain. Light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, sweet after bitter, hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after fears, sheaves after sowing, sun after rain, sight after mystery, peace after pain, joy after sorrow, freed from a cage, rest after weariness, calm after rage, near after distant, gleam beyond gloom, love after loneliness, life after tomb, after long agony, rapture and bliss, right was the pathway leading to this. Let's stand. Let's sing. And let's pray for some people that desperately need the Holy Spirit to come whisper in your ear. New life is on the way. New life is on the way. We had some prophetic words about specific people. Maybe going through grief. Maybe experiencing trauma. Maybe so discouraged. So discouraged. Maybe experiencing depression. Uh, the stats say that's a lot of us in the room. There's only great words of knowledge to say there's quite a few of us like that this morning. We'd love to pray for you. If you come to the front as we start to sing, we want to lay hands on, on you and pray for resurrection life to come upon you, to heal you up, to restore you, to fill you with help. Let's come forward right away. <laughs>